Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. It's International Week and that means of course, unfortunately, our beloved Jers take a break, but we don't. We like to make sure you've got something to listen to, especially in a week where there's not really that much of interest to watch. And this is when we do our question and answer show, where every couple of months we invite the listeners to send in their questions and myself and a colleague answer them. And that colleague, as always, is Mr Alexander Staff. Hello Alex. Hi there, David. How are you feeling? Not too bad. I said always. I think this is your third. So it's a reg- I'm starting to become very regular. regular. I'm a little bit worried I'm turning into Scott. Regular now. Which has been now. a worry for a long time. Yeah, I, I don't worry. We've all woken up screaming in the middle of the night. Worried about that. And in fact, uh, waking up screaming does sound like Scott. But uh, <laughs> no, no, we're here to, to answer the listeners. We asked our subscribers on Patreon. Uh, Patreon even, if they would be kind enough to send us in some questions, which they did. If you're saying, well, I want to answer a question next time, David, then join us in Patreon. Seems quite sensible. But before we start all the selling to you, here's a chance for you to win something. Yes. Um, David Tanner, formerly of Sky TV and various other TV stations you'll know, is hosting a night with uh, Claudio Canigia, formerly of our parish. Yes, a legendary Argentinian goal scorer. Uh, a man who, God, what he didn't do in football isn't worth talking about. He's coming to Glasgow um, for an audience with Claudio Carigia. And if you want to win one of two VIP trips to meet him, then all you have to do is follow David Tanner, and that's at David Tanner TV. That's at David Tanner TV. You just follow and uh, tweet to him at David Tanner TV, heart and hand. And if you do that, let's recognise that uh, you are in the running for this competition and it will be held at the Record Factory in Glasgow on November the 30th so that's the Record Factory in Glasgow on November the 30th this, that's a one-off Alex there's not many occasions you're going to get to meet a chance I mean he was a great player for Rangers but my goodness you're talking 
icons of football in the 90s, then Claudio Canigia would be in there. Definitely, yeah. And it's one of those guys as well who he doesn't exactly do the rounds with these things, does he? Mm. Um, he's not one for for milking this sort of thing in his in his uh, his post football career. So, so yeah, I would say this one. I'd say that's one you want to win. Actually, a uh, chance to meet the guy, etc. VIP trip as well. That sounds uh, sounds like a good one. And I'm a little bit gutted that I would probably not be able to be included. No, you can't win. Sorry, um, you're. <laughs> I'll know if I if, <laughs> and if I get one from a Mister a Mister Alessandro Stefini, um, <laughs> then that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it either. But thank you to David for giving us uh, uh, the two tickets. Tickets out or the two trips actually, and if you want to win one of them, then just follow at David Tanner TV, or if you already follow him, um, just uh, tweet him heart and hand. Right on to the questions then, and the first one comes in from Jamie. He says, "With Sports Direct trying to intervene with the Jer store online, can we expect more court battles from them once the Rangers shop opens in the St Enoch Centre? Also, do you have an idea at roughly how much Rangers have made since strips went on sale?" Cheers. Well, the second one first, um, they haven't made anything yet because it's not like a shop. You don't, every time a sale gets made, the money goes to rain. It doesn't work like that. It'll come in tranches. And I don't think the first one will have happened yet. There will be contractual payments because the contract with Hummel is three and a half million a year. So they'll be receiving that. Um, whether or not that's a one-off or an installment, I don't know. With um, profits and sales divvied up at an agreed date and Rangers getting the percentage of it then. So that won't be done by now will be done probably towards the end of the season and at that point um, the way to find out about it will be from the books we'll find out what Rangers took in retail might not show up until the following season's books incidentally Alex uh, with Sports Direct trying to intervene can we expect more court battles uh, I'm afraid the only thing I can think of is yes because that's what they do but am I being a little bit too negative there no, not at all. I don't think anyone's expecting us not to be in a court battle with Sports Direct any time this next century. Um, they're not going away. We know they're not going away. We have done far better with this than, than we probably realise on paper, actually. Um, it's because it's frustrating, because it's emotional to us, it, it feels like it's constant. It feels like we're never winning any battles. But we're actually doing a lot better, given the situation that was inherited, than we probably realise. Um, we could very well still have been stuck in a seven-year withdrawal period, making absolutely nothing. So, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of moved on from that to some extent. Yes, there's still some stuff to be fixed. It's not going to go away anytime soon. But uh, given what we could have been in, it's not been as bad. And I think that we... Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we sometimes direct our anger about this at the wrong people. I don't know if you agree, David, but the current board and Dave King and, and all the rest inherited a situation which, in football terms, I don't think anyone has ever taken. I don't. I, I can't think of a story anywhere in world football that's been like that in terms of how shafted a club has been by a contract that's supposed to be beneficial to them. Mm. I, I can't think of one. I don't know if you've got one off the top of your head, but I, I no. certainly can. So uh, this is a situation which isn't only new to the Angels, but it's almost new to football in many respects. And I think maybe that, um, you know, sometimes we get a bit frustrated with the wrong people about that. Uh, every bit of anger should be aimed at Mike Ashley and all the, 
spivs of the past. Complicating it is the fact that it's not that Mike Ashley particularly wants the business because had that been the case, I have a suspicion, no more than that, but that Rangers would have, uh, if you like, swallowed the, the unpleasant medicine and just got on with it for the length of this contract. And the fact that they said in their last court appearance that Sports Direct haven't came back to the negotiating table after the judge ordered them to do so in the summer suggests to me that it's not that they are desperate for the business, they just want to prevent us as much as they can from going out into the market. And that will come to a head as well in the court if, in fact, that is that is correct. But no, it is pretty unparalleled, I would agree with that. Okay, next one comes from Mickey. Uh, that's a brave name to post in a Rangers message board. He says, um, banter years 1 to 11 can either pick genuine best team or sheer banter. All right, well, I think that it kind of defeats the purpose to go with the best players from that era. Um, so I will go for just the worst players we saw during that. Um, and Alex, I'll, I'll leave you to decide which one you want to go with. Uh, Lee Robinson. Oh. Back four of that Greek fellow, Kribari. Um, hmm, next to Kribari, we saw some, we saw some belters in there, didn't we? Uh, Zaliukas. Zaliukas would be next to him. Left back was generally. Lee Wallace and he would be excused from that I think so I don't uh, I don't think I'd be firing Lee Wallace in there so I'll pick another crap defender uh, Lee Hodson count as banter years? Um, oh, it depends how, how far are we extending that did the banter years end when Warburton got here was that still banter years? I think Warburton like I, 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 in the banter years? I think I'd still include it in that so I'll stick him in there I'll stick uh, Lee Hodson in there Midfield, well, we've had sort of Ian Black waltzes into the team. The um, I'm sure desperately nice fellow, but really poor footballer Kyle Hutton would be next to him. Yes. Um, on the wings, uh, Templeton on the left, eight hundred and fifty grand. Uh, honest to Christ, don't don't quite know what was that, what was going on there. And then on the the right wing, Francisco Stella who yes. may well have been a genius, but we, we never got to discover that. And up front, they picked themselves, Kevin Kyle and uh, Francisco Sandaza. So there's my 1-11 to 11 of banter years. And I don't think Sandaza, incidentally, is a terrible football player, but he was atrocious for us. He was, yeah, which was frustrating because he was one of those guys I'd seen in the SPL and thought, huh, he looks kind of interesting as a player. Um, and then he came to us and was horrendous, much like David Templeton. Um, I'm going to keep us kind of relatively brief in, in terms of, I would have went with the same approach as you. You can't do the banter of years unless it's utter shite. <laughs> it's just a point of yeah. it. I would have had Steve Simonson goals rather than Lee Robinson. It was a toss-up. Um, I just hate Lee Robinson. So. Yes, mm. I get that. And I can understand there's probably reasons outside of football for that as well. Yeah. A lot of them are, are football-based. <laughs> uh, right back Aguirre's fine I think Barry has to go into the centre um, you put him next to Zaliukas I'm going to have to bite the bullet slightly I was adamant Zaliukas would be good for us because he was good at hearts another one that, that kind of made an arse of it for me <laughs> um, but I'm going to stick Ross Perry in there because oh, yeah, yeah. he was just mm-hmm. you know we we go on a lot about looking back at that time and, and this is one of the criticisms that frustrates me about you know when people get angry about Adam McCoyst and they talk about um, oh he should have been playing our youth players he did 
He played Ross Perry. He played Kyle Hutton. He played Kyle Smith. He played a number of them. Chris Hegarty. Um, there's more. There's far more. And I don't think one of them gave anything like they should have at that level. And not one of them has proven since that they're any better than at best championship in Scotland level. Yeah. So, and that's the best of them. The worst of them are probably retired by now. Um, at the, the grand old age of 26, you know. Uh. Um, oh, I, I can't believe, yeah. sorry. Yep, you're right, actually. I'll drop Lee Hodson and then we can end the banter a bit quicker and I'm sticking in Holiday Daz. So, Darren Cole. Darren Cole, yes. Um, so, yeah, that, there you go. That's, that's a great example. I was thinking possibly Stevie Smith, um, which was harsh in his first spell, but when he came back for his second, it was, you know, he was firmly under him and Chris Boyd. Oh, fuck me. You know, really... I've forgotten. God, this is like a Vietnam vet, I think. Being, you know, the memories are coming back of trying to storm the Mekon Delta and seeing seeing his friends blowing up <laughs> round about him. But uh, we forgot Miss, uh, Mr. Amy McDonald. Oh, God, yeah, we have. Fuck. Well, he'd um, need to find his way into the side somewhere. He can take over from Stella. He would, by the way, if we were doing it this week, and I know we're not, but um, he, him and his missus would very much win the, the Hearts in the Week. Yes. If we were doing one this week. Um, because if you remember not long ago, listeners, I brought up the one of the, the footballer that proposed his girlfriend at the side of the pitch after he scored. And we, we were all of the opinion that your missus should just never get involved in your football career or go to a game and try and talk to you or anything like that at any level. This isn't the first time Amy McDonald's went in two-footed to try and push your man's career at a time when I'm sure, surely if he's got any self-respect, and I suppose that's the question, he's looking at those tweets thinking, oh God, God, he just shut the fuck up. Hmm. Uh, anyway. He, he got, uh, the thing <laughs> is, though, he's punching in, uh, in that relationship. I think if you look at, you know, both looks and success and whatnot, um, so he's not going to say anything. And in terms of if he had any dignity, he got married in a white suit. <laughs> well, white and gold, yeah. Alex. White and gold. White and gold. Yeah. You only get well that if you're super successful. Yeah. Not if you're St Johnston's left back. No. <laughs> no. Um, who did you have right midfield again? You'd Stella. I'd Stella, but I've dropped him for Richard Foster, who I'm pushing into midfield. Okay, I think he could be. Yeah, I think he could be equally ineffective in either role. Yeah, um, I've given you and Foster on the right hand side. That's. Uh, Nightmare. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think about that. Ian Black has to be in there. Now I would have put Bill Mosney at the back, by the way, because I absolutely despised him. Bill Um yes. But but um, a lot of fans seem to have had a lot of time for him, and I do admit, you know, in terms of a player, there's no way he was as bad as Kibari or Perry. I just thought he was utterly, utterly shite. Plus, uh, plus he did punch a Motherwell player, and subsequently, yeah. what we know about Motherwell. You know, yeah, not all yeah. Bad. What has happened since? Yeah. What probably started round about that time with him, and, and yeah, um, yeah. I suppose yeah. In many ways, if you're going to go, you know, banter years, that's a nice, funny story to tell, almost, doesn't it? So, um, so he kind of gets out of it that way. Uh, Ian Black has to go in, has to, has to. He almost epitomises the whole thing. Um, Kyle Hutton was a good shout in midfield. I feel as though we're forgetting some absolute horrors, though. Bound to, we're bound to be. Um, our brains won't let us. That's the thing. It's it's rejecting it. Our brains are saying no. Uh, I don't yeah. want you to have to. I'm not taking you down that dark corridor again. Yeah, yeah. I know. When, when this comes out, we're going to get quite a few comments of us. Where was such and such? Mm. 
uh, yeah, Kevin Kyle up front's an absolute certainty. Sandaza would have been a good show. Uh, again, who who we forget? Who else did we have? I mean, that harsh and John Daly. Uh, he, he done okay. He done okay. Andy Little done done fine. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to include guys like that that you know. Okay, it wasn't a great level and it wasn't a great side, but at least with them, you got reasonable enough quality to suggest they were earning their wages, whereas yeah. with the rest... I mean, we can say they weren't good enough to play for Rangers and all that. That's a different thing. Whereas the ones I've named were generally, did you win a competition? <laughs> yes, some of them definitely did. I think, I mean, I think Kevin Kyle's interviews of recent... He certainly won something. Yeah, he, he, I, I, um, and I admire his honesty in that because he, you know, he thought it was all winning the lottery, and it was for him. But um, really from was. having yeah, to sit no, in that respect, you can't blame him, can you? Yeah, I mean, that's the club, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think your team's pretty solid there. Yeah. Uh, although I suspect, uh, like an hour after we're finished doing this, I'm going to be like, "Ah, oh, fuck, what about such and such?" But anyway, mm. uh, we'll go with that. I think the team there, and as I say, I've had Stevenson in there, Ross Perry in at the back. Um, and I think the rest is is all pretty pretty solid. Yeah. Francesco Stella was one of those guys, like the Alan Gow of his generation, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. Did uh-huh. he exist? Did he did he actually take place? But yeah, uh, yeah. That's uh, our brains now are, are just going into. We're going to have to go and get the those shock machines that they have for when people have heart attacks and see if we can put an electrical current back into our brain as it's trying to shield us from the pain of that but yeah thanks Mickey for that one um, okay moving on Kenny Ferguson looking over the squad as a whole I'm generally happy with it except I do think we're missing some quality left footed players our successful teams over the years have always had at least two sometimes more only Barisic and Halliday unless I'm forgetting someone what do you guys think um, well I mean I suppose Lee Wallace is still a part of the squad and uh, but- again Glenn Middleton as well. Glenn Middleton. Ryan Kent's pretty decent on both feet, yeah. I would say. But I, I know what he's getting at, um, that sort of left-sided specialist, probably more of an attacking player. Um, I, I think any team needs balance. I think if you can get it, it's it's ideal. I do think the manager quite likes a winger on that side to cut inside, though. Um, someone who's capable of coming in on the inside. And, and he swaps him about a lot as well. So... I don't think it's an overriding concern. Always nice if you can if you can get someone, but as we know, there's a premium on left-sided players because there aren't as many of them. Yeah, uh, I think actually, if you look at our better performances this season, when we've had Flanagan at left back, Ken in the left hand side, it's actually been one of those cases. Aside from Ken, um, quite often this season you've looked at our team and thought, well, we don't have anybody that's you know left-footed at all, uh, and one area where it did seem to hurt us as it went on. I think the Spartak game, the 0-0 game, but I think we played pretty well. But one area where it hurt us, and you've seen a difference recently, was in set pieces, where Tavernier was being asked to take all of them on both sides. He was struggling a little bit on the night after the first 10 minutes or so, where he put in a couple of belters and then he started to struggle. And we maybe needed a left foot on the other side to be whipping balls in, and you could have got something off of that. And we've seen that with Halliday and Middleton since. You know, we've seen yeah. great chances and goals scored from them. So, um, I think that in that respect, yes, I, I do get it. I think we've slightly held back by Barry Sitch's injuries. He would have played more often than not, I suspect. Um, Halliday's came back in now, offers quite a bit on that side with, with the left foot. But I think Barry Sitch would have played quite often. 
Um, my dream, David, and I, I don't know, we've probably got slightly different views on what's needed in the squad, etc. And the wider question, my absolute dream signing, if we could find one, would be some sort of George Alberts, where you know he wasn't so much a box to box midfielder, but he certainly wasn't. Uh, number 10 but he scored a shed load of goals and he offered that balance in midfield with his left foot as well mm. I, I don't want a, an out and out number 10 to come in I want a player like him or Van Bronckhorst somebody in there that can do that but offers that left footed balance as well so I do agree at times we need a bit more of it but you know as I say Barisic being injured Middleton just kind of breaking in that sort of thing and, and obviously Ken is so two footed that it's sometimes difficult to tell with him but uh, but yeah, you're right. The best teams have balance, and it will come when when you know Barisic is you know fully fully fit again. It actually looks as though Halliday may have taken Flanagan's spot in many respects. I think he's earned it, and I think unfortunately the manager spoke about playing yourself out of the team, and I think that John Flanagan has had such a bad month that he's done that, and now it's not going to rule him out forever. But he will have to go to the back of the queue and and earn his way forward, which is as it should be, you know, in, in any workplace. But I think that. That will happen with him as well. He needs to maybe rebuild his confidence a little bit yeah. and um, come back outside. But it's been great that Andy Halliday has been able to, to step in and do that. In terms of, I, I would like a number 10 because of the way we play. I think it's important to, um, but if you were to change the style a little bit, uh, the two players you mentioned, Alex, were so good that getting a player even like them is, is difficult because yeah. th- these were exceptional talents and that's why you know, one of them was... Look at his career, my goodness, you know, Rangers, Arsenal, Barcelona, World Cup finals, Champions League medals, I mean, the, just a, a top elite footballer, but I, I know what you mean, if you could get someone from midfield who had that ability, that shooting ability, and the, someone you could look at and say, do you know what, if you're in form, you can get me 12 to 15 this season from that area, that's huge, um, I just don't think those type of players are in a price bracket because even clubs even the kind of lesser ones clubs will buy up just to try just in case you know clubs with more money yeah. than us um, but if we can uncover someone who can do it my goodness yes he would be a lot I, we watch a lot of old games for the site folks because we, we cover a lot of um, a lot of history and even just in research when we're, we're maybe not covering a specific game we'll go back and watch it this thing that's come up about Albert so he was lazy and he he didn't do much running, and but he would pop up with a goal. That's received wisdom, and I've always found that received wisdom can be a euphemism for lazy memories or memories playing tricks. Um, Alberts wasn't, you know, Reno Gattuso when it came to energy, but nor did he shock. Um, what he did was he realised he maybe wasn't as good an athlete as certain others, and he would use his his energy intelligently. But George Alberts puts in tackles. Go back and watch games, folks. George Alberts breaks up plays. George Alberts gets involved. He's usually available for a pass. I think that if we are reducing him in our memory to wonderful goals, but apart from that, just hung about on the touchline, that's that's not true. No, definitely not. I think the closest player, I hate to say it, closest player in Scottish football to him at the moment is probably Tom Rogic, yeah? Um, yeah. That many fans, many people say he's a bit lazy, etc. The game sort of changed to Julian Alberts era in my opinion and it was what slightly annoyed not annoyed advocate but made him withdraw on him slightly was that you know it was you were able to get away with a kind of 
and he did. He put, he put in the work. He put in tackles, etc. But as you see, he was very um, smartly where he put his real energy in because he was more focused on scoring goals. He wasn't maybe the most tactically disciplined or whatever that way. Uh, but then along came a team like Valencia, for example, who had players who could do everything mm. all over the pitch. Um, and suddenly it was, oh shit, this is what we need to be able to do. And, and you found yourself changing it to to bring in a player who was really disciplined in the middle of the pitch. Even Gattuso, to some extent, struggled uh, early in his career. You know, plenty of energy. But if you try to say to the boy, go on and just stay in this area, he wasn't capable of doing it, you know. He was away, charging away. Uh, he took him some time to learn that as well. Mm. The game sort of changed around about Alberts' era, and, and he slightly, as you say, is that received wisdom. It's exactly the same as people saying, oh, Alan McCoyce didn't do anything but hang around the box and score goals. Yeah, that's enough. nonsense. Mm-hmm. Going look back at how good that guy actually was, that's nonsense, you know. Mm. Um, it's very similar to that with Alberts. Uh, but I would love a player like that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just someone, I think left-footed, for whatever reason, left-footed players seem to be harder for defenders to deal with. Uh, just someone in the middle of the pitch able to score those sort of goals for us would be perfect. Uh, Arfield will get a number, probably hit double figures. He's never really done that before. But I think that uh, someone who's a natural at that would have a lot of fun in this squad. Definitely, a lot of fun. Definitely, a lot of opportunity as well. Um, Big William Style says, On the Ek era, which is a show we do on Patreon for uh, you known patrons, where we go through, uh, as the name suggests, Alan McLeish Times Rangers manager, we recently had a discussion about Chris Burke scoring in his debut and you discussed how he perhaps never fulfilled his potential as maybe he was too nice a person. My question is, if Burke and, C- and Kurt Broadfoot swap personalities, how much of a better player would Burke have ended up? Side question, what level of football would Broadfoot have played? Again, I'll, I'll take second one first here, Alex. Um, Broadfoot probably wouldn't have made as much because, funnily enough, I was speaking to Kilmarnock, um, supporting friend of mine, and he said Broadfoot was a guy I absolutely hated when he was at St Mirren, you know, never mind Rangers and then Rangers. And he said, and I love him for us. And I get the impression he's that type of player for everybody because, as we've seen since he's been at Kilmarnock, he's a wind-up, he's a yark, he's, you know, in people's faces, he's, he's, he's upsetting the rhythm. Um, so I think it was almost essential to Broadfoot who never had the best of ability but to be fair to the guy even though you know, by recent actions he's, he's certainly went down in our estimation I think he's a guy who squeezes everything he's got out of out of the ability he has I think he has as I say absolutely made the most of what God gave him yeah absolutely yeah I mean, who was it that coined the limited ability phrase about him again I can't even remember George Burley um, was it oh yeah I mean that was almost it was a backhanded compliment you know, it was it was his way of saying that he was one of those guys who, yes, he wasn't the most naturally gifted footballer, but fans of his teams will love him because of his attitude and because he'll find ways. He just finds ways to win games. That's what he tries to do. All the kind of cheating, diving, everything he does now um, is part of that commandment team who are very smart that way, uh, for wanting to be nice about it. Um, all of that's about just winning that's all he cares about he wants to win games of football he done that with us as well uh, he never complains playing it right back he played in midfield at times or St Mirren or whatever considers himself a centre half but just does the job that he's asked to do um, yes I don't want to see you know full teams of players like that or anything but you know every squad needs a Kirk Broadfoot in there, a guy who'll just go and do the job that he's asked to do and he may not be the best footballer but uh, he'll end up playing a number of games every season because uh, think about think about the amount of players Alex Ferguson had that way at Man United and how many leagues he won 
dragging out guys like Wes Brown, John O'Shea and all that. I think of some of the absolute player, players that even back then you thought, how the fuck are you getting games for Man United? Yeah, there they were, struggling to leagues because he knew how to use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Broadfoot's Broadfoot's a kind of budget version yeah. of those guys. Yep. Um, and as for Chris Burke, what people forget now is that when Chris Burke <clears throat> and Aidan McGeady came through at the same time, they were very much rated on a par in terms of potential. And Burke had some tremendous displays for Rangers and tremendous skill, but he just never quite cemented a first-team place. And then he's had a good career, and I don't want to in any way be dismissive of it, because if you look at what he's done, he's made a good living from football. He's continuing to play now, probably more for the love of the game than anything else, which I always admire. But I just think that perhaps he was lacking that Gallus streak, as we call it in Scotland. Perhaps even that thing that comes from maybe guys who... Shall we say you wouldn't necessarily want them on... on Chris Burt's a very intelligent guy, but the footballers in Scotland that you think you wouldn't necessarily want them on your pub quiz team. But because of that, it almost acts as a shield, that, that sort of lack of intelligence, that they don't overthink things and they just get on with it and play to a level that is probably better than their ability. Whereas Chris Burke, I think, was one of those guys who maybe just thought about it a bit too much and maybe was affected too much by the emotions of situations when he was younger and didn't quite go on because he had all the talent. He When he was on, he was an exceptionally good player. He was quick, he could beat a man, he had an eye for goal. He really was a very, very decent footballer. But the counterpoint to that is him and McGeady came through and as I say, they were both rated. But let's look at McGeady's career. I, you know, Try and take off our blue tinted glasses and try yeah. and not look through it through the green tinted glasses of, of the Scottish media he didn't really do much after leaving Celtic if you're being honest he got the big move to Russia wasn't a major success and then based on the fact that he'd gone for 10 million got a few goals in England but never did well to the point now where he's a substitute for Sunderland in the English yeah. you know, equivalent of third division so again maybe it was just they were a wee bit overhyped the two of them I, I don't know your thoughts? Um <clears throat> I actually think yeah, there's a couple of things with Chris Burke. Yeah, if he if he had that sort of anything to win games attitude of a Kurt Broadfoot, he may have made a bit more of it. I think we have to look at it in a wider perspective though, in terms of what was actually going on at Rangers at the time when he was breaking through, when he was really getting into the first team. You know, it was on the the egg, the egg years where yeah, the first couple of years because he was able to keep a great squad together were great, but then things started to break up and it became difficult for any player to shine, I think. I'd say, especially a young guy who was coming through, think of the Peter Lovingcrans sort of path, career path, where at first when he had all these great players next to him, he looked outstanding. And then when that dipped and McLeish's kind of attitude towards the game changed, we went a, a long time where Lovingcrans was very much slated by the fans. Mm. You know, when he was playing wide left and he was shite at that, allegedly, no heart, etc., um, but kind of suffered a little bit from that as well. We had a cracking time from him. Um, if you remember the Villarreal scout, describing him as you know top class before we played them in the two games in the last sixteen in the Champions League. Uh, and round about then, him and Lovingcans were on, on some great form. I think uh, Buck's done quite well though. As you say, he's became he went down south and became quite a good player, a regular player at a high level in the Championship in England. He wasn't struggling for games. He was a regular. He, he got plenty of time. But I think there's a wider point here, David. Rangers and Celtic fans seem to have very different... And we've spoken about it recently, actually. They seem to have very different focuses on 
players that they really admire, if you get my meaning. Yeah. So like Celtic fans love a sand dancer like McGarry. They love him. Um, it's the sort of player they seem to idolise quite easily. Uh, I say sand dancer's harsh. I get that. McGarry's had a decent career. Yeah, it's not. It's um, not harsh given the level of money he went for, the level of money he earned. I mean, I would argue that, look, for instance. I follow Everton as as my English team, you know. I mean, not closely, but uh, close enough. I see a fair bit of them. Did nothing there, nothing yeah. at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, it was one disappointment after another. And Sand Dancer is a word I have read on Everton forums. I've heard from Celtic fans I used to work with. It's not an it's not an uncommon opinion. Yeah, I mean, because that was the sort of game they played, but they they seem to have far more time for that than we would have had for Chris Buck doing that. Um, whereas you know we 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 love kind of real hard kind of guys you know guys that will go give everything um, defenders good solid defenders like you know we seem to have a bit more for that a bit more time for that than we do for inconsistent wide players who will occasionally give us some absolute magic Charlie Adam as a Celtic player would have been considered excellent we thought he was shite mm, true they they would have loved him. But he was really inconsistent. Some of the stuff that guy was able to do was absolutely magical. Think back to the two free kicks against Hibs, two different games, for example. Those are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No footballer should be even attempting them. He was scoring them, um, and he's you know he would he would have been loved there, but we didn't have time for him because he wasn't doing it week in week out. And uh, I think that's part of what was going on here as well. Is that as you say, there's yeah the media perception, but there's also just a general fan perception. We talk players like Buck down a bit more than they should um, and they talk players like Negedi up more than they should uh, and I think that, that the wider point I think is why um, it, some people up here consider Negedi have had a better career whereas as you say when you really look at it in paper he's not he's not, he? no. really no. Um, been a bigger clubs very, but very not, not done anything at them no I, I agree and uh, uh, yeah just one of those shames um, that's a good point though about Celtic we like direct players you know that's that we always have, and that doesn't mean necessarily long ball. I just mean that we like guys who can get the ball here towards the goal. And in terms of a winger, I've said this before, and I stick by it. We were ruined by Brian Loudrop because up to that, we all accepted it was a Scottish shibboleth that wingers were inconsistent. It just was. Yeah. That's what happened. And if you got three or four bits of magic out of them in a game, if they didn't show up for the other eighty-seven minutes, that was okay. Brian Lowe yeah. comes along and then it was, well, hang on, you can then, right? You're, you're supposed to get by the defender eight times out of ten. You're supposed to get a cross and you're supposed to win a corner, you're supposed to get a shot, you're supposed to get a, a goal. And now we expect a winger to do that. And, uh, yeah, what was it James saying? If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, even think back, um, hard, to, hard to believe as, as a younger fan, and even I don't appreciate this, David Cooper's nickname was Moody Blue, wasn't it? Because, you know, he could go entire games where you weren't sure he was doing anything and then went back magic or whatever and people still loved him and it was fine. We were fine with that. But as you say, we got ruined by guys like Loudrop coming in and suddenly it was, you know, rather than being the exception, which he should have been seen as, we seem to have moved on as if, you know, every player... That should be the norm now, and it's uh, it's difficult for wide players at Ibrox. I think Very. more difficult than, than most. We we seem to judge them on what we expect them to be able to do rather than what they are actually capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could go on about that for hours with guys like Beasley and, and stuff who were for me cracking players 
but because he never took that man on every time they got the ball or whatever, and I think Chris Buck falls into that category as well. Centre backs and wingers. That's the two we're hardest on, in my opinion. Yes. The Rangers yes. always have been. Um, we 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 have an idea in their head just because we've been blessed with so many great ones um, for generations, and that's that's what does it. Um, Stephen Louch says, given the manager only tried to play three five two in one game and it didn't go that well, pardon the pun. Uh, why do you think so many still talk about it, and what are the advantages? Is I don't see any in it. Well, Alex, I'll let you explain the tactical side of it because that's something you know more about than I do about what the advantages are of a three-five-two. I mean for me straight away it's we've got two very attacking fullbacks who at times maybe aren't the best defensively well a three-five-two covers for that you get two men up front which on paper is great but I'm sure you'll point out why given maybe the <laughs> personnel we have it's not ideal for us and uh, it should it should let you dominate the centre of the park because you should have the extra man in there or at least be able to match up to anything they put up to you um, and I think people talk about it because there is still an evolution going on with the, with the team at the moment. I don't think anyone thinks this team is the finished article in terms of either personnel or possibly formation. And I think that when 4-3-3 is looking brilliant, thinking Hearts is a, a great example of that, you think we will never ever change from how we play. This is fantastic. But I think when it's not looking so good, when we're perhaps uh, some of our more anodyne performances away from home, when we're not creating much Livingston springs to mind that people then go well what can we do that's different if we can't make a lot of personnel changes what can we do well we'll look at the system so uh, it'll never go away and this is not a new thing okay maybe 4-3-3 versus 3-5-2 is different but um, when Walter was there it was should we we played 3-5-2 should we play 4-4-2 should we play you know 4-3-3 with these these mad 4-2-4 Formation, because it's such a straightforward thing that everybody understands can be done, is always going to be when things aren't going well. Pretty much top of the top of the things that we can change, and it isn't unique to us. Um, if you go and watch Manchester United when they're not playing well, the fans chant four four two because they grew up watching four four two. So the fans still to this day, when things aren't going well, chant four four two attack attack attack. Uh, much to the chagrin of, of Jose Mourinho currently. So, uh, yeah, Alex, those are my thoughts on why the debate still rages, but what are the advantages of that system, firstly, theoretically, and then as pertains to us? Okay, so, I mean, theoretically, the advantage of the three five two is supposed to be that you don't give up the three central midfielders, which is quite a big thing. You've still almost got a five in midfield. Um, and it's very dependent upon you know which players are playing in the wing-back roles. And then you have two up front rather than just the one centrally. Um, and if you've got the right personnel for that, and, and, and this is the biggest part to me as to why it's difficult for us, and you're up against a team who are playing in such a way that two forwards is useful against them, then you know, it can be very effective. You've got three centre-halves on the pitch, usually one or two of them being quite comfortable in the ball and able to break forward from defence as well. You know, think kind of Bouguera style almost. Um, some, somebody, you know, that's why so many teams that play it have got almost like a full-back in one of the positions now. If you think back to when Chelsea done it so well under Conte and it was Aspilicueta playing on the right-hand side of the three. Yeah. Because he was so good in the ball and when the space opened up in front of him, he was able to go. Kyle Walker um, for England as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and for Man City, to some extent, when they play it. Um, but I think one of the things that you have to do often, or in my opinion anyway, it's great to look at other teams in other leagues, try and get an understanding of this, see how it could maybe work for us. But 
the challenges that Rangers face in terms of how teams play against us, even very experienced players that have played at the highest level will talk about it being a unique challenge. Um, now, it's not quite unique because there's a team just across the city who have got a very similar challenge to us, uh, and, and we have to kind of almost look at them. Now, Brendan Rodgers has moved to a back three a lot of games. He never plays it in an important match. By the way, worth pointing that out, if it's a big European game, or he's playing us in the league, and he's away at Aberdeen or something like that, he goes back to his 4-3-3, he never plays it in a really big game. But when he plays a back three, he's James Forrest playing on the right-hand side. It's not a full-back, it's not a wing-back. Gamboa's a natural wing-back for them, but he plays Forrest there. There was times when he played Patrick Roberts wide, um, and a, you know, as almost like a wing-back as well. Uh, he, he plays it like that. It's a very attacking formation when he plays it. And it's almost a... Do you remember Kishinia said if he played against us, it shows he's no respect for us mm. in his first game against that. Well, that's kind of what he meant. There's a light, slight sort of, well, we're so much better than these teams that I can play this way and it won't matter. And it worked for, it worked for them because they had, and he's doing it less now because they had likes of Dembele and Griffiths he could play up front who were capable of doing the job. Our issue is, Morelos and Lafferty aren't a partnership. I'm not sure they ever will be. Um, in this current squad, I don't know if that will work ever as a partnership. The two of them seem to be, they seem to thrive and, and are lone striker rolling away that they never will in a two. Um, the teams like to play against, if, see if I'm, if I'm a defender and my job on the day is to sit in my 18 yard line and make it really difficult for you to beat us, I want two players who are facing their own goal, which, you know, the further forward you play, the more often you do that. So if you play two strikers and they're right up against the back line, they've very often got their own back to the opposing goal. Mm. And I'm fine with that as a defender. That's great. That's excellent. That's what I want. I don't want guys running from deep or running from wide with a ball at their feet and able to get to full speed and run at me. That's when you've got a problem. Um, and that's why you know 4-4-2 and 3-5-2 can be difficult for teams who are going to traditionally dominate the ball loads. I think the formation could work against certain sides. The, the reason it didn't work against Motherwell, in my opinion, was you know individual mistakes aside, it was a poor time to change. We hadn't had any time to work on it. It was a bit of a mistake that way. Um, it could still work for us in certain matches. It might be something that we find would actually be more effective against teams that come out a little bit um, and let the two forwards then have a chance to, to get in behind with some running. But against sides, it seems counterproductive, I get that. But against teams who are just sitting in, you actually want players making, in my opinion, making runs from deep and that way they're facing the opposing goal when they pick a ball up rather than picking up with a back to goal. You want one player doing that at most and we've got a good one at that in Morelos and then everybody making runs off them rather than two or three players having to do that because they're so far up the pitch they're receiving the ball at a standing start with a back to goal and an opposing team. That's what they want. They want as many players doing that as possible because it slows the game down and gives them a chance to defend stronger and that's why it just won't go away because people are still stuck on this partnership aren't they up front mm. um, and you said earlier the 4-4-2 and debate the 3-5-2 debate they just won't go away because in British football more than anywhere else in my opinion we're still stuck on the big man little man partnership up front being so effective whereas it's the game's kind of moved on from there quite a bit well in my opinion well ah, well, ah right 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 yeah. right well it has, but I think it's partially to do with football evolving and partially to do you don't get players who can do that anymore. 
um, yes, the, yes. The, the big guy target man striker and teams would desperately love one still to this I day I think they're making a slight comeback if you can um, get somebody who is an athlete this is why Mark Haley was so good this is why Mark Haley was better at it we've seen big lumps of wood playing up front Scottish football for generations teams still do it now uh, Livingston at the moment are getting a bit of success with it but the the reason that Haley worked was that he was a tremendous footballer who yes. just happened to be built like a tank but incredibly mobile that was the other thing about he was a what the channels guy Mark Haley even back then didn't just stand there waiting to try and head the ball on um, he, was, he was a thundering presence up front and Shearer was the same at Newcastle Drogba and, Chelsea Drogba Drogba brilliant example right and the, the reason these guys went and were worth so much money and played for huge clubs is that the guys just don't come about. You look at somebody like uh, Andy Carroll, who for the last few years has been more of a theory than a football player, hasn't he? Yes, but, yes. but teams will always give him an opportunity because if they can get him fit and firing, what a weapon. So I do think that if we'd suddenly saw a few of them, teams might resort to but I don't think it would be as part of a four four two no because you lose the man in midfield and no matter how good you are, unless you have exceptionally good midfielders in there, and I'm talking, you know, guys who can do pretty much everything in the modern midfield game, you need the third. You need the balance. Okay, yeah. uh, good question though. Thank you. Um Grant Valentine asks, uh with the chat of the upgrades of the players match the experience, I've no doubt the dressing room must be spoken about. I like you want the dressing room to remain. That's me, Alex doesn't. Um Alex would sell out our history and tradition. As it means so much of the history. It did get me thinking though, I would love to have something done at Edmonston House, possibly a Rangers Museum with a new club shop. And then when leaving the tour of it, meaning if we upgrade the dressing room for the players, we could move it to the museum for all to see for years to come. Money obviously would be an issue with it just think it could be great I, I do grant I think the club would love to have a, a physical museum because um, it's a money generator but there's a lot of places and things needing money at the moment so it's it, it's on the list definitely but you can understand why it's maybe in medium term priority rather than short term priority my argument with the dressing room right and Alex will disagree with me here and that's okay because that's why we have shows like this so we can have this this debate it's not Steven Gerrard's to change. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to me and belongs to the listeners and belongs to your family and belongs to Rangers and to Rangers history. And if that means that the players need to be slightly less comfortable dressing before a match, tough titty, we can have a changing room like Manchester City's. Manchester City can't have a changing room like ours. But you, you can't have the history of Bill Struth sitting in his in his office, specifically ordering the type of wood and specially that would build that dressing room. That is unique to us and it's part of what makes us who we are and part of what makes us a great club. And, it, yeah, you know, for instance, the there's a hook for their hats to go on. And that, to me, is wonderful. It differentiates us from who other clubs are and they cannot get that. They cannot be that. They can't have the history we have. So I am very resistant to change for it. Have another one, by all means. You know, build another one in the bowels of Ibrox that's got all the, the modern who has. Do what you like at the Hummel Training Centre, but that main stand at Ibrox and that dressing room as a part of it isn't theirs to touch. I don't have any issue with that argument. In fact, you made the point that, as you were saying that, uh, he was thinking would be a cracking compromise, and that was to try and find another space elsewhere uh, and build another one. 
rather than you know rip apart what we've got there. I do love the history of it. I love even just the daft stories of you know you would put the hooks higher in the away dressing room <laughs> to make opposing teams think that our team was huge. Um, you know I love that. That's great. As you say, you can't really you can't fabricate that anymore. You cannot. That that's done. You know any team that has changed from that cannot go back to that. And there is a no point. 50 years from now where people will walk into the sterile dressing rooms of a Man City or an Inter Milan or yeah. the likes and look at that and go oh wow think of the tradition and history here you're never getting that again um, and it would be a real shame to lose that I do understand that I'm just I'm not a traditionalist in general um, and you know if I fall into the results or everything camp and this would help results then that's why I'm not as resistant to it as many are um, but I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. If we're going to do this, why not try and find that compromise? Yeah. Why not try and um, you know put that somewhere else in the stadium? I would also say this as well. In terms of the museum, I can see the appeal for the club. I'm not sure we need it, if I'm honest. And in this, that there would be a cracking example of it where you could build another dressing room somewhere, keep that there. Um, and, and you know, just extend the tools to some extent. Yeah, you know, that, in that experience that is a good tool. into a museum in itself. That's right? a good point. Yeah, if you walk into that main stand at Ibrox and spend five minutes or five hours, it doesn't matter. You walk out wowed, and if you walk up the stairs into the blue room, into the the changing uh, into the changing room, into the trophy room, Alex and I um, were fortunate a few weeks ago. We were doing a live shoot at Ibrox, and the club were gracious enough to take us in a wee tour. There was just the ten podders. Uh, that was some experience at night, you know, down on the pitch and uh, around the pitch. We weren't allowed yeah. on the pitch, quite rightly. But uh, in the in the dugouts, up the tunnel, into the start. Look, yeah, uh, no museum is going to be as good as that. So yeah, we we do have something special already, and I, I can understand why. As I say, it's not a priority at the moment. Uh, Thomas Anderson says, any idea why the SPFL don't allow a multi-ball system? No, and I can't understand any reason why not, other than perhaps maybe cl- some clubs don't want it because there is we're a league with an imbalance, if you like, from top to bottom, and the smaller clubs maybe get together to block that because there are certain matches that they don't want it. That's the only thing I can think of as well. I can't understand. I even tried to find, you know, I've seen this question, I had a quick look, obviously. I tried to find if there was something in the rules that specifically didn't allow it and I couldn't find anything so I don't know if I'm missing it um, I would have thought to me Scottish football needs to come up with something different to market itself we've got our neighbours down the road which are just bigger better and you know far more attractive than we are if we want to get anywhere near we, we can't even get their cast off so that's how ugly we look in, in comparison you know um, and if we want to do that I think things like multi-ball and such like we have to look at that we have to be a league that's willing to take that and go well you know what forget watching boring Cardiff v whoever and the ball's only in play for 40 minutes come watch Scottish football we've got a multi-ball system we speed the game up and we make it a bit more like you know let's turn Scottish football into the professional version of juniors you know <laughs> where it's like well, you go there because it's just it's entertaining mm-hmm. you know you know you're not going there to watch the greatest quality of football but my God, you're going there to watch a two teams who are going to battle with fuck to go and win a game. And there's an entertainment to that. Because that's what you want. You want competitiveness. Um, things that are a bit pretty for pretty's sake. And we see many teams that play that way. When two of them get together, the game kind of gets a bit boring to watch, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, when two teams who are just blood, 
so many people love watching Atletico Madrid, for example, not playing down the, the quality of their players. But first and foremost, the first thing they do in every game is battle like fuck to, to earn the right to win it. Um, and people love them for it. And I think the Scottish football has an opportunity to do that, to try and market itself in an almost self-deprecating way. And things like multiball would be useful there. You know, to speed the game up, speed this whole thing up, turn it into a bit more something a bit more frenetic. It also help us in Europe as well, okay? Because they use it in European matches, um, uh, you know, even qualifiers and such like. And if we were a bit more used to it, that might help. So why they don't do it, I have no idea. I'm actually that cynical that I start to wonder if some clubs can't afford enough footballs. It could be, yeah, genuinely. And they think that'd be a bit of a waste of time having to have all of that ready. So we're not gonna. Plus, they would be used more, so you would run out of them quick more quickly. Yeah. And you, it, genuinely, yeah. I mean, I know that sounds a really silly thing to say, but it's true. It means that you've got what maybe ten, twelve footballs being used in a match, which means the wear and tear is going to be quicker. On them, yeah, <laughs> it's not like you're supposed to reg five off for a ball. Right? No, I mean, no, these are match balls, eighty quid, a hundred pound plus. Yep. Um, anybody that's ever played with an actual official match ball as compared to the sort of ones that you buy that say they are, mm-hmm. um, will know the difference. Uh, and yeah, they are a little bit expensive, I suppose. But I, I, I do. I wonder if it's as simple as that. The SPFL are just like, yeah, it's just bit of a cost and we don't really need it um, but I do think they miss an opportunity there I really do yeah me too Dale says following the recent financial statements do you think there's any genuine reason for concern no not particularly I mean don't get me wrong we're running at a loss and the losses are made up by the directors if the directors weren't there then it would be a concern equally the losses are there because the directors who are there who are prepared to make up the losses have decided we should run at a loss so it's a chicken and egg thing um, could Rangers be self-reliant at the moment? Yes. Could Rangers be self-reliant and competitive at the moment? No. That's the reason. Um, the books look like what I would expect the books to look like for a strategy like this, Alex. Yes. If, the, if there was concern, and this, as you say, it's a chicken and egg thing, it almost sounds strange. If there was serious concern, Pedro Cachinho wouldn't have got sacked. He wouldn't have been paying off players. We wouldn't have been spending money to do up the stadium. If we were seriously concerned about the financial side of things, we would not have made those big um, outlays. We wouldn't have done it. Tavernier would be gone. Tavernier would be gone. Yeah, things like that. Tavernier would have been sold for two and a half million US Brom or some nonsense like that. Um, You know, these these things would have happened. The fact that they haven't, take away... It's almost just like looking at the headline, isn't it? The big figure there, the, the minus 14 million and thinking that that tells the whole story it doesn't doesn't read great yeah it doesn't read great but the devil is in the details Alex said and uh, at the moment unless something changes with either the capacity of the directors to um, and these are not loans now they're being converted to equity but either the capacity or desire of directors to do that changes then we'll reassess it but where we stand right now as we're recording this uh, no Um, despite the fact that I read the week before we were supposed to be going into admin again Um, today Celtic, wasn't it today yeah. a Celtic fan had told us that we were going into admin and I actually bet him um, £10,000 I said to him okay if you're that confident as you're saying yeah let's 10 grand on it and he wouldn't take the bet so don't know, that, don't know what that tells you don't know what that tells you <laughs> um, Declan Cairns who I know is a suspicious name but Declan actually comes from co-winning folks so he is staunch he just has reasons to dislike his mother um, this upcoming month is massive to our season where do you see us sitting in the table come full time on the 29th of December and do you think we will need to spend lots in the January window to win something this season 
No, I don't, and I don't think we will spend lots in January. Players will come in, but I would expect it to possibly be loans or taking over contracts that are expiring, that sort of thing. But uh, where do you see us sitting in the table come full time? Ah, fuck it first. Well, certainly, it's certainly possible. Um, you may have missed this, David, in, in the, the kind of fabled WhatsApp chat. I asked the question, um, we've got 11 games between now and that game, between now and the end of the year, end of the calendar year. Um, if you were given seven wins, two draws, two defeats, how would you like them to go? It's uh, a little bit, I mean, but you, you do look at it and think, we're capable of more than that. Even though the evidence of the season so far suggests there's going to be a couple of bumps in the road there, we are still capable of more than seven wins, two defeats, two draws in those 11 matches. Damn right. Um, every single one of them on paper is winnable. And we know that won't be the case. Jesus, if we come out. If we're doing, if we're doing arm hand after that game and we've won all 11 matches between now and then, uh, I suspect, I suspect I will no longer have any testicles left because I've shot them out myself. Mm. Um, that would be the best run we've had in a long time. God, yeah. um, we can be first. I suspect we'll still be sitting in second. I think the results will fall in such a way. But I don't think there'll be any difference between the sort of two slash four point gap that we've got, you know, kind of swithering between of late. Um, I think we'll, we'll go into the new year still very, very close to Celtic over the top of the league. I think Hearts will start to dip slightly now just because injuries are catching up with them. Yeah. Um, and that'll be, you know, how it looks. I tell you, one team that surprised me, I don't, we don't like to talk about Scottish football too much, how the fuck did Aberdeen come back into being something? Aberdeen, that, you know, Aberdeen knock off the teams are supposed to knock off. That's, yeah, but that's they weren't fun. even doing that. No, they, they, they were, like... um, but they, they were underperforming. Now at the moment, they're probably overperforming, and they'll go into their their usual. I think soon enough. Um, yeah. I think they <clears throat> lost a bit of confidence. Unfortunately, we gave them it back, um, and the results have picked up since then. But they 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 have better players. They're not a great side, but they're better players than most of the teams they play against. So that's that's it but they, yeah, they might drag out, we? They, yeah, they'll come sure. back up Hibs have dropped off as well which is somebody doing Hearts have significantly dropped off but uh, so that all of those factors into that I think um, Stephen Spears I personally believe there's too much respect afforded to that lot across the city how do you think Gerard and Co should address this is it a confidence issue and can only be addressed by getting the monkey off their backs by beating them or do you think it needs to be part of a dressing room top get them fired up enough or a training ground mentality it needs to be coached out of them all of those factors Stephen all of those factors but yes of course the biggest thing um, if there is a confidence issue if there is a fear for what or let's just call it as it is the only way you get rid of that is to overcome it, and the only way you overcome it is by beating them. So up until we beat them, then of course it's going to linger at the back of the mind of the players that we can't. And to be fair, it will be correct, because until we beat them, then we've no right to claim we can. So yeah, that first win for me is, is enormous. Yeah, um, there was a, a show that Alex Ray done, I think it was next to Scott Arfield for Ladbrokes, and Alex Ray talks about that, I think it was before the first one against them this season, um, and he spoke about that in his time that he came up um, uh, and just, you know, we, we were in the midst of a really bad run against him then and I think we lost the first one that he played in and then, was it the cup match? Cup match, 2-1 Did we go 1-0 down? 2-1 one one at Ibrox Yeah, uh, and I think he talks about that, you know, being 1-0 down and thinking this is just never going to happen, can't believe it and that's only the second time he's played against him for us uh, and then, you know, Pozzo gets his equaliser where we end up getting that winning goal and it just... Uh, it's, uh, that changed it, that changed the attitude um, and we've seen what happened that season 
from from there. Uh, in general, it doesn't just change their confidence against Atlas, it changes their entire attitude over, you know, all the matches. Uh, yes, you're right, I think that we just need that win. Um, it needs to come and there's been times we've had a go at them, there's been times we've, you know, played well against them, we've still not been able to get it over the line. It's not as simple as just showing them less respect or going and pressing them or whatever. It's just not as it's not as simple as that. It just needs that win. Um and that'll make a big difference. And if that win comes through sitting in and getting a lucky one or whatever, it won't matter. Uh, it won't matter what the approach is. It won't matter that we win the match. So um I think it's it's also harsh to say that we showed them too much respect because Gerard was hampered by situation when we played them this season. Mm. Uh, the UEFA match just before it, uh, and you know other things is a, a relatively new team as well uh, up against a very settled side. Uh, you know all of that. They were all factors. Let's let's revisit that. You know this time next season and see. I'll guarantee. I bet you he doesn't approach the matches against them like that. Uh, when he's got you know full time to prepare or, or anything like that. that, that's not going to happen. He just he, he felt hampered by what was you know the situation and, and kind of tried to make decisions based on that. It didn't quite work. But I'm, I'm convinced in the game at Ibrox, no matter who's injured, no matter what players we've got available, we are going to be right in their faces from the first minute. And let's see how that goes. Thomas Anderson says you each get three picks but can't select the same people as the other. Who would your top three people be to interview for the pod or share a stage with at a live show? I always go first on these, Alex. Yes, so I'll let you go. I'll let no, no. I was going to say I always and then take away from you. So I'll let you go first, and yes, you can have Ali. Well, no, I was going to leave you, Ali. Well, I was going to leave you, Ali, to be polite, but it's fair to say that <laughs> between us, Ali would be pretty high up. That's number one, I think. Yeah. To me. Um, after Richard Goff, obviously, you know, our, our good friend Richard Goff, yes. David. Um, after Goffy, for me, there's only three people that we could interview who would be on a par with that. McCoyster is one of them, uh, Walter Smith, and John Gregg. Mm. You know, that would be it, really, in terms of who's available and who you could speak to who would be of a similar level. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, if you if your first choice was Ali, I think my first choice would be Walter. Um, and one of the things though with these interviews is that you just never know if we're going to get the same level of Kevin Thompson is amazing, Richard Goff was amazing in terms of how open they were. Mm. You just never know if you're going to get that from everybody, do you? And I don't mean that as a criticism to them because they've spent decades under fire from the media. So, you know, it's natural for them not to completely open up and everything that the media has then got to pick up and, and run with. Um, that's that's kind of what we, we're up against, aren't we? I mean, mm. we are now at the stage where we can do what seems to be nice, relaxed, off-the-cuff interviews with people and it's two or three days' worth of stories for the Sun and the Daily Record. Oh, they must love when we get an interview because we do all the work and they... Uh, yeah, yeah. they get to just retweet it, essentially. They get it. So you're going Ali, Walter and... John uh, Gregg, it would Greg. be the three... For me, the, the three biggest that we could get and would be, you know, if we could get them being open, being honest, being themselves, hmm. that would be... I think that would be amazing, yeah. A few of the ones that would have been on my list but with the three that Alex has mentioned obviously crossed off mine that we've already had and you can get it if you go to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand and sign up and you'll hear interviews with Richard Goff, Mark Walters, Andy Gray, some amazing names for the past, the cult heroes like Scott Nisbet as well are on there, yeah. um, so soonest. 
obviously. Yes. Guy changed my life. Um, as simple as that. He changed my life and the life of every single Rangers supporter at that time. So Graham Souness would be one. Um, another two then that from any from any Rangers Brian Loudrop obviously. Yeah. Just to stroke his hair and, <laughs> and tell him how how wonderful he was, and. Uh, even though the club are desperate to stop me because they think I'm going to ask for a vial of his blood. And, I mean, that's nonsense. I'm not going to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he's going to say no. I'm not fucking stupid. Uh, Stevie G. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not downplaying these guys in terms of influence. and, and the No, it's, you're only allowed three, Alex. It's quite all right. We, we could both know, pick I a know, thousand. I know, I know, you know, <laughs> Every day we'll have their favourite. I mean, I'd love to speak to Alberts, Geo. You know, there's so many players. Neil McCann yeah. would be great, I think. Yeah. Neil McCann. Um, one other. Um, although what is happening today makes you worry. Uh, Gaza. Gaza. Yeah. Would be amazing. Um, but you know, I, I, yeah, we could go on all day. Three. Thomas. I, if this is, I think we've had two questions from Thomas Anderson. I don't know if it's the same person. If it's Thomas, that I know. Um, I'll, I'll have words of three is just not enough no, so, 500 was, yeah. but that's yeah. a good thing we can aim next thing. <laughs> we, we can keep aiming we can keep aiming for it now I'm going to start skipping a few questions folk because we're uh, out of or uh, running out of time and it's not because your question was bad uh, Hoggy will pick it up for Hoggy's hamper another show on a network but it was more just the fact that we've maybe discussed something similar with that before uh, so we're just going to move through to slightly different ones Colin Kerr do you think the capacity of the ground will ever be increased ever yes not in the near future in my opinion no um, and there's something about the way the stadium is just now and maybe it's just me it's what I'm used to uh, I just don't see where it could be done or you could take the screens could... out yeah which I think would be a bit of a but, uh, a slight loss, and they try. They probably try and put screens somewhere. They would put screens somewhere, but you could take them out from where they are. Um, there's there's a, a lot of things you can look. You can do anything if you've got enough money. Um, yeah. That that's the thing. So if there is a time where there is more money, because there is a demand. I mean, their ticket sales are ludicrously good. I mean, phenomenal. So uh, it will be something they'll be looking at. If you're turning people away, then you're losing money. So you might yeah. think it's better to invest it, but it, it's not priority right now. Ewan Cunningham, who are the best and worst journalists you've dealt with on a personal level? Are the ones you found generally all other ones you found generally all right, but would come across like an arsehole in their writing, or vice versa, came across like an arsehole in person, but be generally balanced in their writing? Um, that's got to sound really weird. I mean, there were some really good guys that I dealt with at the time. Um, Colin Duncan at record was brand new. You always knew you were, what you were going to get from Derek McGregor at the Sun. was always good. To be fair, though, I was married to his cousin. So it was <laughs> kind of difficult for him to stiff me on that kind of thing. Surprising ones. And remember, though, this is over a decade ago now. Um, Jim Spence was always really good with me. Really good with me and really fair. and went out his way to, to be helpful. Uh, something happened to him about 2012 and he just wasn't the same guy. I don't know what it was. But the bitter uh, Rangers-hating FUD that he grew into just wasn't anything like that in the 2000s when I was doing the trust at all quite bizarre Um, I know that a lot of people have uh, bad things to say about him based on stuff that he's he's written recently and that's understandable and I disagreed with it but Neil Cameron was always really good with me Um, Celtic supporter but you know he was he was open about it 
and never misquoted. That's all you can ask, you know. He never misquoted me or took a quote out of context or tried to make a big thing of it. Um, yeah. Chick Young and Graham Spears were always really, really, or tried to be really, really nice to me in person. And then soon as the soon as the, the, the red light went on, they would get torn into me. Personally, you know, they would play the man, not the ball, because they couldn't win the argument. So it would be kind of, um, as Alex brilliantly described, it would be kind of ad hominem attacks rather than anything to do with what we're talking about. So they were, and then they would cozy up to you in the, dress, in, the, in the green room afterwards. That's why with Spears, I always say people don't get upset. He doesn't believe half the shite he comes away with. And he genuinely yeah, I get that impression. I, I think he, that's part he, of the issue, isn't it? He genuinely believes that he it, you can say something and then go, Ugh, you know, it's, it's only football. He that's how he thinks. Um it doesn't bother him. It's the same as when you point out that you've got something wrong in a match report, he goes, Oh, who cares? Because he doesn't. Um and that's why I say to people, don't be annoyed. He is trying to annoy you. Um, and he's trying for attention I don't understand it myself I think it's very false but that's his view and his view was he could go out and say something on air and a second later just say oh, that was on air don't, you know, don't worry about it I don't really mean it um, yeah. Tam Cowan was brand new Tam Cowan was really really good with me really nice and I mean like genuinely would defend me and um, when people would try to take the piss um, be be genuinely go and have words with other journalists who'd done bad things. Uh, Tom English is an arsehole. Tom English would be so fucking nice to you, so nice to your face, and then write a scathing piece. Again, personal. And I'll never forget, when he's he's lecturing onwards, the time of We Deserve Better, and he wrote this big article about how Murray was you know, a fantastic guy. He would never sell the club to somebody that didn't have Rangers' best interests at heart. I was a wee arsehole that was out to cause trouble. And I just thought, there you go, You know, talk, talk about taking fucking... You know, uh, take the easy option there. Not looking yeah. at any of the facts, just saying, well, my bread's buttered on this side and going for it. So I have no respect at all for somebody like English because, as I said, just a snake. He's got no morals um, at the end of the day. And also, when you're talking about somebody and you won't speak to them, you'll only speak about them, I always think is because they have the number. All they had to do was pick up the phone. Um, so when they were doing a piece about me and Murray and they would speak to Murray about me, but not yeah. then speak to me to give me, you know, the, the right to reply. Um, I always thought that was a bit cuntish, to be honest yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, um, yeah. But the only one I ever met that thought, no, you're sharper than me, genuinely, was, was Cowan. The rest of them, I mean, Cowan is like that, he's so quick. Whereas with the rest of them, I thought, no, seeing an argument, I'm going to win. Uh, and that's maybe just, you know, arrogance or overconfidence, but I'm a reasonably good arguer. Um, and I'm I'm quite quick but with him I was like I'm not taking this guy on he's sharper than me it's a wee bit like you know when people go and have I got news for you and they try and take on Merton and Hislop and you're like what are you doing especially Hislop yeah, yeah you're, I mean, you're, in fact even Merton yeah, but you're, 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 what are you doing you're, you're going to lose <laughs> so I was like that with, with him but the rest of them I always thought no I can I can hold my own here I mean, the likes of Chick Young, he's the, no offence, the guy's a fucking moron. And <laughs> if I couldn't if I couldn't beat him in an argument, then I'd be off the Erskine Bridge that night. There's some of them that I met that I won't name that were genuinely, I was staggered at how moronic they were. Like, genuinely taken aback by, oh, that's not an act. You are genuinely this thick. Okay. Um, and then you meet one and they just take themselves so seriously. I remember um, meeting Keevans at a, an awards do and being introduced to him and the guy is genuinely more pious than a pope 
you would you would think that uh, he is you know above everybody that he's ever met, and you're like, right, money fuck here, mate. You know, you, you work for Radio Clyde and the record. It's not right home about. So yeah, there are some good guys in the media. I always found that in the Scottish media there were three types of journalists. One, there were people who were Tims and didn't care who knew it. Two, there were bears who did care who knew it. And three, there were the guys that just wanted to write their story and go home. And if you got two or three, you would be all right. If you got one, you could be in trouble. Yeah, so. sounds about right. Um, we had a thing last week, didn't we, where a young guy had to go at Keith Jackson's article about Livingston. And it turned out the boy was you know, aspiring journalist. Um, and the journalists had a nice little fight in amongst themselves and gave him a fair bit of abuse as well. Uh, if you're on Twitter at all, that was that was quite entertaining and, and worth a find, but I can't quite remember the username of the boy who had done that, but you'd be able to find it via Keith Jackson's tweets and replies and likes and such like. Um, there still seems to be, you talk about an arrogance, there still seems to be a bit of that going on, whereas in my opinion, um, and I think this shows a great example of it, it's changed now from people talking about the journalist and ex-player's opinions to journalists and ex-players talking about fan opinion. Mm. That's now what fans want to see. They want to have their voice and hear people talking about that rather than them talking about what these supposed experts have said because we now see through the supposed expert side of it um, and you know we realise that they're, they're really, you know, a lot of time no better, no smarter, no more knowledgeable in football than we are. So, uh, you know, that, that shift has happened. Um, yet there still seems to be a, a slight arrogance amongst certain journalists, in my opinion anyway, the ones that, you know, I've, I've kind of came across via social media or, or, or other ways. There still seems to be this kind of genuine belief that they are above the average punter and should be considered so. Uh, yeah, you just need to look at the sales you just need to look at what happened with Johnston Press this last week, etc., etc. You see that that's no longer what fans are looking for. And if they don't change that attitude, many of them aren't going to be in the position to to uh, slap about aspiring journalists and say, you've got to be nice to these guys that are going to give you your first job. Probably not in 10 years' time, um, if, if things keep going the way they're going. No, exactly. Things have changed, then you either change with it or you die and that's that's the same I mean we're doing our thing not for a second suggesting it's anywhere near as popular as the mainstream media but it's growing and the, the, we wouldn't have had this space if you like to to expand into had it uh, they been delivering what people wanted but uh, yeah it was bruising it was a bruising time because they were getting paid and I wasn't and uh, <laughs> you know it took yeah. up it took up a lot of my time and uh I, d- I would never deny that, and people get annoyed when I'll say, "Well, you know, he he was a good guy to me. I liked him personally, and he was." And they, were, oh, he wrote this, and I'm, I'm I can't help that, you know. I I can disagree with what he wrote, but he's still a decent bloke. Trust me, I've been in situations where I needed a hand, and he's given me a hand that he didn't need to, um, and therefore I, I I'll be honest, I take people as I find them, and yes, that that applies to Celtic supporters as well. Um, there's one who I'm going to embarrass. You know, a guy called Lawrence Donegan who writes for the Guardian or wrote for the Guardian. I was in America. Don't be fooled by the name. He's a Celtic fan. He's a huge Celtic fan, but he loves the pod, um, this pod, because he just likes the banter on it, um, and he's always been nothing but decent with me. And I mean, he'll take the piss when Rangers are terrible, but. I don't 
think there's anything wrong with that. He doesn't shout Sevco or, you know, have them killed, but he takes the piss out of the club that are his club's rivals. I don't have a problem with that. I don't no, think that no, no, no. there's anything wrong with that. Um, and he was in Lloyd calling the commotion, so, you know, fuck it, it's good enough for me, frankly. <laughs> um, right, um, moving on. Uh, do you think we will ever bring a centre-forward through the youth team to be a first-choice striker again? The last one was maybe Robert Fleck, who made any sort of impact. Jeez, that's a good point. Uh, Alex? Uh, we will. It's going to take a special talent. And we've spoken about this many, many times, David. So, so you know, um, apologies for repeating, but uh, you only need to look at the record of big clubs in general when it comes to developing their own strikers as opposed to signing the finished articles to see how difficult it is these days. It's more a football-wide thing than a Rangers-specific thing, in my opinion. Melvin Simpson, ignoring what goes on across the city, because that shouldn't influence this, question, do you believe that we have a problem, real or perceived, with bigotry and or sectarianism? If so, what can we do to resolve it? Well, we certainly have a perceived one, yes. Now, look, you will find in a cross-section of society as large as Rangers supporter you will find that some of the people in it are bigots because there are bigots in society. So, of course, you're going to find some people that have that. That's that's inescapable. It's, it's just not possible. My point has always been that a football club cannot be the cause of sectarianism or anything like that. It can be a symptom, but it cannot be the cause. It's a societal issue. And there's loads of factors involved in that, such as employment prospects, poverty, education. Governments don't want to deal with that, though, because that's difficult. That takes time and money and effort to solve. It's a lot easier just to go, it's Rangers' fault. And you also have to remember that in Scotland, there are a lot of people who derive their living from the sectarianism industry. So they don't. They've 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 a stake in it not going away. In fact, they've a stake in making it out to be worse than it is. Um, you just need to look at. I believe there was a new group launched the other week for anti-Irish bigotry, um, and people find it laughable because it just doesn't exist. But to them, it does because they tend to be bigots themselves. They hate us, so they assume we hate them, and therefore they then spin it off from that. I'll be honest, I don't think that people singing a dodgy song at football makes them sectarian. I don't think it's that big a problem. I think people can go in and do something knowing that it's wrong and knowing and, and having a laugh about it um, in the way that comedians do, that people can go in and go, oh, this is a bit dodgy in the way that you tell a sick joke. But we're in the middle, because of social media, of a kind of new puritanism where people quite enjoy joining a mob and go, I can't believe you said that! You should be hung! Um, and it's, as I say, it's just putting your energy into the wrong places. If the people who are so into going around Twitter looking for any form of offensive comment put that energy into solving homelessness, I think the world would be a better place, but it's just where we are as a society. So do we have a problem with it? Not particularly, no. Um, do we have elements of it? Yes, of course. Um, do we have a perceived issue? Yes, because people in Scotland hate us and we've become a very easy dog to kick and to blame but that's why we need to get together and call it out where we see it if it's wrong but equally we need to not be pliant not be supplicants not be down on these apologising for being Rangers fans because that's what they want and they won't go away that's the thing they won't go away we've tried this stop singing this okay we stop singing this they find something else because they're not interested in ending sectarianism they're only interested in, in beating us up for it 
Yeah, I mean, this goes all the way back to Scottish Labour government, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, up here, and, and they saw, well, to me anyway, it looked like they saw an opportunity. They saw an opportunity to deflect away from 250,000 Scottish children living in poverty, etc., etc., to turning it to look at these two big, bad football clubs, and then we became the biggest villain through some, you know, rather smart, as I hate to admit that, rather smart machinery from, from certain people. Um, we uh, there, there is a fair debate that no one seems to want to have about sectarianism and bigotry in this country. No one seems to want to have it. They are happy to judge on the moment and not someone's overall life. If, if you go to a game of football and you sing about hating Catholics and then go back to your Catholic-born wife are you a bigot? Or can you be claimed to have to, to have anti-Catholic feeling at the very fact that you married someone who, you know, was of that faith or is of that faith, um, etc.? There's a fair debate to be had about whether or not. And I say that's by the way for someone who has a little bit of you know studying psychology, etc. In uni, so a little bit of knowledge about this. You are not the same person sitting in a group of forty odd thousand fans as you are when you leave that scenario in, in your day-to-day life. That's two very different things. And from a psychological perspective, and if you're, if you're not willing to, to put that in as part of the debate, if you don't have that as one of your central premises about this, then you're not being fair. You're not doing your job. You're not actually understanding what's going on there. Um, and the, you know, the acts of football fans at games of football is not reflective of how they are their entire life and that's just a fact and anybody that tries to tell you that that is is wrong or wrong um as for you know society these days there's actual good psychological uh, research into this now there is a a joy it's almost like an addiction um to judging Mm. you know you get a certain boost from it um mentally that, that makes you feel good and that's why you know twitter can be the place that is where any sort of miscomment, joke, anything like that will be pounced upon because it makes these people feel better about themselves yep. um, and uh, you know that's not going to go away either and now social media has given us a platform to see that from everybody whereas before it used to just be you know you've talked to your pals about it and go oh look how terrible such and such is now you're able to tell the entire world how terrible you think they are um, so yeah uh, the debate around this and the noise around it to, to answer the question, we definitely have a perceived issue, we don't have a real issue, and anybody that wants to debate about being a real issue, uh, please come and do so, because I am desperate for a serious conversation on this in Scotland, and very, very few people of any influence have are willing to do it. They're not willing to do it. What's the name of the guy? Um, Doctor... I can't remember Stuart his name. That's terrible. Stuart Waiting. Sorry? Stuart Waiting. He's about the only one that's willing to have a serious conversation on this. Yeah. And any time he does... He is absolutely pilloried for it in, in certain sections. So, you know, we need more of that. But that's what we need. We need more of that conversation. And if someone can convince me, you know, through some sort of logical argument, decent arguments that it is a problem, I'll be willing to take that on board. I'm happy to do that. But right now, what we're doing is, is, is nowhere near a, a fair or accurate debate. No, absolutely. Jonathan, which period did you enjoy more, Walter's first spell or second? And if you could pick one player from each spell to put in today's team, who would it be? Ooh. I, I enjoyed Walter's first spell more because we had money and it was glamorous and nine in a row. But looking back, his second spell was far better. 
what he achieved was almost heroic in that second spell, given the limitations that were placed on him. So I think historically, but I have to say that I enjoyed the first spell a little bit more, just simply because of uh, um, you know, what, what the club was and what it represented. Alex? Yeah, I'm slightly tainted because it's all in reflection now. Um, because a part of me almost enjoys the second spell mode because of the slight underdog feeling to it. And, you know, the way that we had to, to work so hard to get to the level perfectly that we got valid, to. perfectly valid, mate. It's perfectly valid to feel that you way. Know, it it was a better spell. spell. It, it, objectively, it was a better spell. Yeah, yeah, but I've no doubt in the moments I probably enjoyed the first spell more. You know, I was a younger guy then as well. So yeah, that helps, loved, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would have loved that feeling um, uh, at the time and that would have made a big difference. I've no doubt in the moment, but, you know, on reflection, I probably enjoyed the second spell. To answer the second question, obviously... Um, first spell I don't think anybody oh, right now if we, are we talking sorry is he meaning uh, let me just get this right taking someone from a first spell and putting them into the team of the second spell both Take, no no no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. taking taking a player from each into the current side oh into the current side um, the current side if they had Brian Loudrop would be frightening mm-hmm. um, from the second spell into the current side Barry Ferguson at his peak, he wasn't at his peak during that. No, though, was he wasn't. He? No, that's. I would have argued that that he wasn't. Still great, but he wasn't at his right. peak in that spell. Um, Jelovic? No, I mean Morelos is up there, so you don't even need to. And there you go. There's the comment. That don't get jumped upon. <laughs> I genuinely believe Alfredo Morelos is up there with Jelovic. There you go. I think, um, I think he will be at the end of the season. I don't think he's there yet. Eh. Second spell into the current team. As I said, I loved it. You know, if he if he could have got Barry Ferguson at his best there, like I think that's the sort of player we possibly don't have. It's someone who's able to just dictate the midfield like that. Well, here's, and pass these guys moving quicker he, here's if he's slowly going down or whatever. Here's a shout then. What about Brahim Hamdani? Yes, I mean there's a player that would be. You, you spoke to that team, aye, to our current yeah. side, yeah. Uh, or or uh, the other one that sprung to mind was my good friend KT, um, yes. obviously we'd be up there, but if it wasn't that, because I think that would be a place we could improve, uh, Carlos Coelho. Yeah, there you go, in fact, do you know what, that's probably, yeah, that would be it. Um, I was thinking about defenders, we, we seem to be having this fair debate about Katic and Worrell at the moment and now McCauley's coming out of debate and all that we all so I'm seemingly agree on Goldson but yeah it's under Queller coming in yeah oh I mean look no disrespect to the four guys that are there just now who are all good players and I like them um, very much but come on Carlos Queller was one of the best centre-halves at Rangers I've ever seen as was the guy yeah. who followed him he, he was fun as well and of course yeah. Sasa Papac we were talking about yeah. left back maybe was well, that would be that problem solved, Alex. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have any Seven out of ten problem, every but... week. We wouldn't have to worry yeah. about it. But brilliant question, Jonathan. Absolutely brilliant. Stephen Elder, with a new TV deal about to be signed by the SPFL, do you think supporters of all clubs should be campaigning to see the end of the Sunday lunchtime kickoff? Personally, I love the 5.30 Saturday evening games. They won't campaign with us. We've seen it with the Willie Collum thing. Even when they agree with us, it's because it's us. They won't do anything. So it's not going to work. Secondly, it doesn't matter... Um, and trust me, having been a fan activist um, for years, you are tilting at windmills. It's very Don Quixote stuff. Uh, they don't care. So, no, it, w- it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference whether we campaigned or not. Um, personally, I hate Sunday games. Yeah, um, for Rangers, I would far rather 
it was if, if, even Friday night actually would be better just personally I just would prefer it but I understand that's a pain in the, the hole for um, supporters from abroad and whatnot. so I do or, or even sorry, abroad but Northern Ireland or whatever so I just would prefer to get the game then um, but the Saturday at half five yeah but I, j- I just hate Rangers playing on a Sunday it just I, I don't like it at all you're waiting all weekend for it and then if it's done and it doesn't go well your weekend's finished and it does go well your weekend's finished so yeah me personally I would rather have that I don't mind the Saturday morning kick off but the Sunday just not for me Alex um, I suppose you know this season this kind of sums up part of the issue that we've got with the European games as well which makes a big difference in terms of even normal games that aren't televised and having it moved to the Sunday. Um, it's all it's all personal preference. That's the issue, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the question itself said personally, I preferred the five thirty kickoffs, etc. Um, whereas I'm not sure what I prefer. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm maybe a bit too compliant that way. But I just go well. That's the way it goes. I'll just you know work around it and, and, and take it that way. It's not that. It's easier for me though. I live in the south side of Glasgow. I, you know, have access to the TVs easily, etc. I'm not having to go out of my way. You know, people that are abroad in completely different time zones having to wake up at three in the morning to watch a Rangers game or having to travel so many miles to get there. That's not me. So, uh, you know, my preference against theirs is going to be very different, isn't it? And you, you touched on that yourself. So I don't know. I think um, I would rather just see... The SPFL make the best TV deal it can and then we'll work it out from there um, rather than get to... If we start... Put it this way, if, if fans of every club started campaigning against certain times of games being shown, etc., that makes the league less attractive to potential investors and that, you know, and potential TV companies investing in us. It makes it less attractive if they feel as though, you know, there's protests against their time slots and nobody's going to watch or such like, then they're, they're not likely to, to come in with a decent size offer, are they? So I, I, I'm wary of, of that. And it's all, as I say, very personal preference. Some people probably love a Sunday 12 o'clock kickoff. Um, whereas at times I'm just like, yo, God, man, this is a pain in the arse, to be honest. It's because you're waiting like all weekend for it, you know? It's, it's just, and there's also something kind of. I think mentally on a Sunday, you know, it's a bit more sluggish, whereas a Saturday, you know, off to the game, there's something brilliant about that, I think. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. it just feels, it's weird as well, it feels to me like Saturday at 12, I can handle, you know, sun, sorry, Sunday at 12, I can sort of handle, even Saturday at 12 actually does this, see when a game's done, even on a Saturday at 12, when you've got all the other games and you can watch your cooking, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. it often does. Um, I mean that feels kind of good but there's still a sort of long ass day afterwards where you know that's a highlight of my day done there and it's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon you know what I mean like that's it it's finished I've nothing else I wasn't caring about anything else but the Rangers game you know um, there's a little bit of that as well so so yeah um, I just feel as though it's just the way it goes and we're not going to get we're never going to get anything that suits everybody, are we? Even Saturday at three doesn't suit everybody. So um, it's just uh, something that it's difficult. I don't think we'd ever be able to come up with something that everybody would be on board with. No, I think you might be right there. Okay, final couple of questions. Uh, just a very quick one. Um, first comes from Stephen Renton. Why are there no B batteries? He asks. There used to be. I actually know this. It's because they were used in 
devices that got superseded. So it was things like radios and stuff when they had the tubes. Um, yeah. And then when that went and microchips come in, so there you go, you've learned something here today. I think it's also um, because we don't want to be saying the batteries. The batteries, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. And who wants a B when you can have a double A, triple A? Um, yeah. You know, you would always want well, to. Well, um, if you're talking about boobs there, then you're going in the wrong direction. Absolutely, good point. You want, uh, <laughs> I, I had a mate whose girlfriend had uh, boobs that were 36 double F, um, which he said stood for fucking fantastic. Um, and yeah. uh, having having you know only seen them from the outside, I, I would be tempted to agree. And lastly, Jock Wallace says, should the death penalty be brought back for individuals who put pineapple on pizza? Um, I just think that if you're the type Jock that doesn't have a cultured enough palate to be able to enjoy pineapple on a pizza, you probably wouldn't be able to build a gallows that would work. So I think uh, people like myself would survive. Um, but no, I mean, it, 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 you you stick to your kind of cheese and tomato and your your uh, farm foods food. Um, but uh, yeah, for uh, for, for yeah. those of us of a for those of us who are no stranger to a, a shall we say a, a a mousse on a plate or a, a an hors d'oeuvre, it's fine. Actually, I, I I have a fucking cheek saying this because Alex uh, would be able to know this. My diet is awful. Um, <laughs> I basically genuinely listeners. I mean, I've lost a lot of weight, so it works, but. I'll get up in the morning, eat probably, you know, those Belvita breakfast biscuits. For lunch, I'll have three packets of Space Raiders, and at night, I'll have a takeaway um, every couple of days. Uh, that'll do me in those days I don't eat. So, no, I, my insides look like, uh, I'm sure, my insides must look like a, a Tim's bed set. Yeah. Well, my question is always this to people that ask this, um, and we've got a couple of our, our, you know, prominent podders who are, you know, Hatred of oh, pineapple and Cammy's immoral, which is odd because look at Cammy, you wouldn't think you'd be scared of any food. Well, this is my point, right? Is that firstly, why do you care what anyone else is eating? Uh, and secondly, is there some uh, I have put on five stone in the past four and a half years? I am living testament to the fact that there is not a shortage of pizza out there. Mm. So no one is taking away something that you could have by putting pineapple on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why do you care? <laughs> is my question. Go and get your own pizza and enjoy. Have, you know, enjoy that. That's fine. I will have my pineapple and my pizza because I particularly like it. Yeah, me too. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening. Now, um, these questions came from our Patreon site and if you want to join up with it, and you really should because there's so much good stuff on there, then just go to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand where you will find it. Now, with Christmas coming up, you might, and I think you should, want to buy some heart and hand branded shite to give to people um, because, you know, you'll have people in your life that you've got to buy a present for and you don't know what to buy them and no matter what you get they're just going to go oh thanks so you might as well make it like a heart and hand t-shirt or mug and they'll go oh really so do that uh, makes a great gift present secret santa for the tim in your work go for it just go to heartandhand.co.uk uh, go to the section marked shopped and buy some shite just time to thank our executive producers in london mr mike lee and mr paul myers please remember the claudio canigia competition and with that i'd just like to thank my guest today the wonderful mr alexander staff thank you david always a pleasure we'll be back on thursday to preview our weekend fixture so until then take care cheers bye Podcast Network.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.